Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There was once a man who didn't believe in God, and he didn't hesitate to let others know how he felt about religion and religious holidays like Christmas. This man was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man, generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. His wife, however, did believe, and she raised their children to also have faith in God and his son Jesus, the Christ, despite his disparaging comments. One snowy Christmas Eve, his wife was taking their children to a Christmas Eve service in the farm community in which they lived. She asked him to come, but he refused. That story is nonsense, he said. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's ridiculous. So she and the children left, and he stayed home. A while later, the winds grew stronger, and the snow turned into a blizzard. As the man looked out the window, all he saw was a blinding snowstorm. He sat down to relax before the fire for the evening. Then he heard a loud thump. Something had hit the window. Then another thump. He looked out, but couldn't see more than a few feet. When the snow let up a little, he ventured outside to see what could have been beating on his window. In the field near his house, he saw a flock of wild geese. Apparently, they had been flying south for the winter when they got caught in the snowstorm and couldn't go on. They were lost and stranded on his farm with no food or shelter. They just flapped their wings and flew around the field in low circles, blindly and aimlessly. A couple of them had flown into his window, it seemed. The man felt sorry for the geese and wanted to help them. The barn would be a great place for them to stay, he thought. It's warm and safe. Surely they could spend the night and wait out the storm. So he walked over to the barn and opened the doors wide, then watched and waited, hoping they would notice the open barn and go inside. But the geese just fluttered around aimlessly and didn't seem to notice the barn or realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and came with some bread, broke it up, and made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn. They still didn't catch on. Now he was getting frustrated. He got behind them and tried to shoo them toward the barn, but they only got more scared and scattered in every direction except toward the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they would be warm and safe. Why don't they follow me, he exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? He thought for a moment and realized that they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could save them, he said out loud. Then he had an idea. He went into his barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. He then released it. His goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and one by one, the other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. Then he thought about what he had said to his wife earlier. 
Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. Suddenly, it all made sense. That is what God had done. We were like the geese, blind, lost, perishing. God had his son Jesus to become like us so he could show us the way and save us. That was the meaning of Christmas, he realized. As the winds and blinding snow died down, his soul became quiet and pondered this wonderful thought. Suddenly, he understood what Christmas was all about, why Christ, the Messiah, had come. Years of doubt and disbelief vanished like the passing storm. He fell to his knees in the snow and prayed his first prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in human form to get me out of the storm. Many of you may have recognized the story I have just read. It is entitled The Man and the Birds. It is a modification of the story that Paul Harvey used to read each Christmas day on his radio program. I'm thinking that this story is a modern-day parable, a parable being defined as a fictitious story that illustrates a religious principle. Then I looked up the word principle and found that one definition is a primary source, origin. I personally understand that this religious principle had as its source or origin the single most important event in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you listening may be saying, what's the big deal about Christmas? And I'll tell you this. One day, many years ago, someone was at my kitchen table during the Christmas season, and I almost fell off my chair when she said, I don't know what's the big deal about Jesus Christ. I will say that she was raised in another faith, but I was still stunned. Maybe you are listening today, and you too are thinking, why is Christmas such a big deal? And you don't go to church, and you aren't a believer in Jesus Christ. Have you ever stopped to consider the fact that maybe there really is something to the story that Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby? Have you ever stopped to think that our modern calendar years started when Jesus Christ was born? What other event caused such a radical shift in thinking that B.C. is before Christ and A.D. is in the year of our Lord? Maybe it is finally time that some of you wake up before it is too late to the realization that perhaps the Christmas story is not nonsense, but is a story of love and redemption and grace. So please ask God to open your mind and your heart as you listen to the Christmas story as recorded in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel. Ask God to help you to believe it and to understand it so that the truth as revealed in His Word will set you free. And now I'm going to read the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. About this time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the nation. This census was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for this registration. And because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, King David's ancient home, journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the village inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel appeared among them, and the landscape shone bright with the glory of the Lord. They were badly frightened, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced, and it is for everyone. 
the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. How will you recognize him? You will find a baby wrapped in a blanket, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of other angels, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang, and peace on earth for all those pleasing him. When this great army of angels had returned again to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story expressed astonishment. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and often thought about them. Then the shepherds went back again to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels and because they had seen the child, just as the angel had told them. Now this is what Max Lucado in his book, The Applause of Heaven, has to say about the night that Jesus was born. An ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And were it not for a God who loves to hook an extra on the front of the ordinary, the night would have gone unnoticed. The sheep would have been forgotten, and the shepherds would have slept the night away. But God dances amidst the common, and that night he did a waltz. The black sky exploded with brightness. Trees that had been shadows jumped into clarity. Sheep that had been silent became a chorus of curiosity. One minute the shepherd was dead asleep. The next, he was rubbing his eyes and staring into the face of an alien. The night was ordinary no more. The angel came in the night because that is when lights are best seen, and that is when they are most needed. God comes into the common for the same reason. His most powerful tools are the simplest. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, Fate's Checkbook, says, Many will be celebrating our Lord's first coming tomorrow. Let us turn our thoughts to the promise of his second coming. He who came to suffer will not be slow in coming to reign. This is our glorious hope, for we shall share his joy. He is coming. He is on the road and traveling quickly. The sound of his approach should be as music to our hearts. On man's word, hang only what it will bear. On your own resolve, depend not at all. On the promise of God, hang time and eternity, this world and the next, your all and the all of your beloved ones. Rely upon Jesus without limit. Trust not yourself or any man beyond due bounds, but trust only and wholly in the Lord. In Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, hear these words. Try to imagine what I gave up when I came into your world as a baby. I set aside my glory so that I could identify with mankind. I accepted the limitations of infancy under the most appalling conditions, a filthy stable. That was a dark night for me, even though angels lit up the sky, proclaiming glory to awestruck shepherds. I became poor so that you might become rich. I speak to you from the depths of eternity. Before the world was formed, I am. You hear me in the depths of your being where I have taken up residence. I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, your Lord and Savior, am alive with you. Learn to tune in to my living presence by seeking me in silence. As you celebrate the wonder of my birth in Bethlehem, celebrate also your rebirth into eternal life. This everlasting gift was the sole purpose of my entering your sin-stained world. Receive my gift 
with awe and humility. Take time to explore the vast dimensions of my love. Allow thankfulness to flow freely from your heart in response to my glorious gift. Let my peace rule in your heart and be thankful. Does peace rule in your heart? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation and the eternal life in heaven that is promised to those who believe in Jesus Christ? I hope you have. But if you have not, remember Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In the December 25th devotional, Morning by Morning, by Charles Spurgeon, we read the following. Let us go today to Bethlehem, and in company with wandering shepherds and adoring magi, let us see him who was born king of the Jews. For we by faith can claim an interest in him and can sing, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus is Jehovah incarnate, our Lord and our God, yet our brother and friend. Let us adore and admire him. Let us notice at the very first glance his miraculous conception. It was a thing unheard of before, an unparalleled sense, that a virgin should conceive and bear a son. The Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. The first promise involved the seed of the woman, not the offspring of the man. Since adventuresome woman led the way in the sin that brought forth paradise lost, she and she alone ushers in the one who could regain paradise. Our Savior, although truly man, was, as to his human nature, the Holy One of God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin without the taint of original sin, which belongs to all those who are born of the flesh. Let us reverently bow before the Holy Child, whose innocence restores to mankind its ancient glory. Let us pray that he may be formed in us, the hope of glory. Do not fail to note his humble parentage. Our morning portion describes his mother as simply a virgin, not a princess, prophetess, or a matron of a large estate. True, her lineage was not to be despised, for the blood of kings ran in her veins. Nor was her mind a weak and untaught one, for she could sing most sweetly a song of praise. Yet how humble her position, how poor the man to whom she stood betrothed, and how miserable the accommodation afforded to the newborn king. Thus has poverty become consecrated, and men of a low estate are exalted to honor. Every believer is a portrait of Christ, but a poor saint is the same well-drawn picture hung in the same frame of poverty that surrounds the master's image. I want to share a story today about a very famous composer from the hymn storybook, Then Sings My Soul, Volume 1, by Robert J. Morgan, and also a portion of this same composer's story from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. I think you might be interested to hear a little about the life of a man who wrote one of the greatest pieces of Christmas music there ever was. His father tried to discourage his musical interest, preferring that he enter the legal profession, but it was the organ, harpsichord, and violin that captured the heart of young George Friedrich Handel. Once, accompanying his father to the court of Duke Johann Adolf, George wandered into the chapel, found the organ, and started improvising. The startled Duke exclaimed, Who is this remarkable child? This remarkable child soon began composing operas, first in Italy and then in London. By his twenties, he was the talk of England and the best-paid composer on earth. He opened the Royal Academy of Music. Londoners fought for seats at his every performance, and his fame soared around the world. But the glory passed. Audiences dwindled. 
His music became outdated, and he was thought of as an old fogey. Newer artists eclipsed the aging composer. One project after another failed, and Handel, now bankrupt, grew depressed. The stress brought on a case of palsy and crippled some of his fingers. Handel's great days are over, wrote Friedrich the Great. His inspiration is exhausted. Yet his troubles also matured him, softening his sharp tongue. His temper mellowed and his music became more heartfelt. One morning, Handel received by mail a manuscript from Charles Jennings. It was a word-for-word collection of various biblical texts about Christ. The opening words from Isaiah 40 moved Handel. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. On August the 22nd, 1741, Handel sat down to begin composing. He became so absorbed in his work that he hardly took time to eat. On September the 14th, 1741, he finished his composition and named it simply Messiah. In just 24 days, he had written 260 pages of music. Considering the short time involved, it was the greatest feat in the history of musical composition. In those three weeks, Handel never left his house. A friend who visited him found him sobbing with emotion. Later, in describing his experience, he alluded to the Apostle Paul and said, Whether I was in the body or out of my body when I wrote it, I know not. The premier performance of Messiah was April 13, 1742 in Dublin. The benefit freed 142 persons from debtor's prison. A year later, it was performed for the first time in London with the king in attendance. As the choir began to sing the Hallelujah Chorus, the king rose to his feet and the whole audience followed his lead, beginning a tradition that continues to this day. In all, Handel conducted 30 performances of Messiah. Of these, only one was in a church, and John Wesley was in attendance at the performance. Handel's last public performance was of Messiah on April 6, 1759. At the end, he fainted by the organ and died just eight days later. He was buried in Westminster Abbey, where his statue shows him holding the manuscript from Messiah, opened to, I know that my Redeemer liveth. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus Christ was born. He was a gift from God. His birth was a miracle. He came to earth to bring forgiveness and salvation to undeserving sinners like you and like me. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this question, What is faith? And the answer It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. You can never please God without faith, without depending on Him. Anyone who wants to come to God must believe that there is a God and that He rewards those who sincerely look for Him. The peace that we were created for only comes from a relationship with a loving God. Do you have peace in your life? Do you want this peace in your life? When you have difficult days, when you feel you have failed God and you doubt Him and His love, then remember these words from 1 John 4, 16-19. We know how much God loves us because we have felt His love and because we believe Him when He tells us that He loves us dearly. God is love, and anyone who lives in love is living with God, and God is living in Him. And as we live with Christ, our love grows more perfect and complete. So we will not be ashamed and embarrassed at the day of judgment, but can face Him with confidence and joy, because He loves us and we love Him too. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what He might do to us. 
If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us, and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of his loving us first. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The only hope we have is in Christ. None of us could ever be good enough to get into heaven on our own merits. But the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians tells us that God kept his secret for a long time for centuries and many generations, but is now pleased to share it with those who love him and live for him, and the riches and glory of his plan are for us too. And this is the secret, that Christ in your hearts is your only hope of glory. My hope is that Jesus Christ lives in your heart and that your life is bringing him glory. If you are now convinced that God's way is the only way to a meaningful life here on earth and eternal life in heaven, you can pray to him like this. Dear God, I do believe that Jesus died for me and took the punishment for my sins that I deserved. I want to receive your free gift of salvation and eternal life. Thank you for this precious gift. It is a precious gift indeed, a gift I hope you have accepted already. But if not, I hope you will accept it before this year is out. You never know how much time you have left on this earth. A friend of my sister's for many years was passing out Christmas gifts at his office on Wednesday afternoon and expecting his daughter to come to celebrate Christmas with him, but he never woke up on Thursday morning. His time on earth was up. I hope he was ready, and I hope he is now home in heaven. Are you ready? I hope you are. I will close today's program by reading One Solitary Life by James Allen Francis. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never held office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings who ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. As you share your gifts with one another this Christmas, take time to remember the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. May His birth make a difference in your life today. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening.
You have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 